I was swept away Surely you are good My heart ran away Surely you are good I was swept away You brought back into this place You gave me water You gave me drink You brought me back into this
Guys, gals. Good morning, everybody. It's hunting season. Labor Day weekend. You know, I heard that Labor Day weekend is the single busiest day of the year for people who move. I don't know why that's the case, but there you go. So, uh, communication cards, you know what these are. If you're a first time guest, please grab one of these because we want to get some information about you because we want to show you how to get connected here at Friends Church. And it's especially important if you're a second-time guest, flip it over and fill out the back. We want your prayer requests, but we also want to see what your next steps are. Where are you at in your journey? We want to help you. We want to be there. We want to meet you there. We want to help you get to the next step. Speaking of next steps, 301. It's our class uh, after 201. Go figure. And Pastor Floyd, who will be teaching today, will also be teaching that class after service, the 11 o'clock service, next week. That's our membership class. So if you're not already a full-fledged member of Friends Church, uh, you'll still get into heaven, but uh, you won't have the cool bumper sticker. So, no, really, it's a, it's a weighty but wonderful journey, and we're glad that you join us on that. Uh, we hope that you'll come to the 301 class, um, hear what we have to say, and say, hey, this is the place for me. This is where I want my family to worship. And you'll join with us, sign the membership covenant, and be a full-fledged member of Friends. Uh, Wednesday, next Wednesday, 6 to 7.30, uh, student ministry bonfire. They're going to light all the students on fire. And, um, no, that's not right. That's got to be a typo. But anyway, that's next week, six, six, this week, 6 to 7.30. Jeopardy! Kids Jeopardy, second through fifth grade this Saturday, hosted by our very own Alex Trebek, Joe Bob Howard who will be there. So check that out. That's a kid. And there's been kids have been, have been boning up for this. All right. So these kids know more about the Bible than, than most of us. It's, it's sad, but it's a good thing <laughs> that they do. So it's uh, they're going to be doing that next Saturday, uh, class 301, as I said. So we're going to pray for the kids going off to kids church, because what you're going to do there guys is super important. Okay. Can you stand up and pray with me? Hold on. Hold on. I want to pray for you. All right. Okay, every, you, go, you guys go ahead and stand up. We're going to pray over you, okay? The adults, we're going to pray over you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these kids that you've given us, that you've entrusted us uh, with for, for some part of their lives so that we can help bring them up to know you. We love. Uh, we want your protection and your grace over them, and especially over the teachers. Uh, they're going to be learning about Joseph today. It's an awesome story of your sovereignty, um, and it's a lot of fun to learn about too, Lord. We just thank you for this opportunity, and we thank you for these little ones. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, kids, go on out. Adults, you stay here and worship with us.
Yeah, Joel was whining about having to carry this out. He was going to get, put up a music stand, you know, but uh, I talked him out of it. He's going to get lazy in his old age. Um, okay, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, let's take up the offering before we get into this. Uh, Father, we thank you, God. I, I was just reminded this morning of this verse. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that you can make us um, all sufficient through your grace, that we with all sufficiency in every circumstance can not only have enough for ourselves, but more to give. And uh, so, Lord, we thank you for what you're working into our lives and even into our finances. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless this offering. Thank you, Lord. Okay, this morning we're going to continue with our series on First. Thessalonians, and I'm going to touch base on chapter 1, and a section out of chapter 2, and then some really significant verses out of chapter 3. But before I get started, I want you to, um, <clears throat> I want you to put aside any reservations you might have uh, during the course of this message. I want you to... Um, not allow doubt to get a foothold. Not any skepticism. Let the Word of God speak to you. There's a scripture in um, Mark chapter 4 where Jesus is talking about the sower sows the seed, the seed is the Word of God. 
And one of the first things that happens is he says Satan comes immediately to steal the word. And a lot of times we'll hear something. It's really the, it's really the word of God, but we come up with objections. We come up with, maybe we're offended by a, a, a past experience that causes us in some way to minimize or compromise or even reject what we're hearing. And I want to caution you this morning because what I have to share is hopefully going to create some new neural pathways in your mind. So I just want to encourage you to let the Word speak for itself. I have been sitting, I've been meditating, I've been... uh, it, It almost feels like there's been a crusade going on in my heart almost all summer. And one of the primary verses in which God has used to, to germinate this stirring within me is out of 1 Thessalonians. And so, in preparation for what I'm about to say, I want to remind you of a few scriptures. In, in John chapter 15, verse 7, it says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And right there, we have an entry, like a portal, into the supernatural. He said in in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Therefore I tell you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you have received them, and you shall have them. I like... Ephesians 3.20, one of my favorite scriptures. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And then it says, Unto Him be glory in the church throughout all generations. The things that are impossible with man are possible with God. And I want you to know that over the course of this summer, faith has begun to emerge in my heart along these lines. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 1.5. It says, Paul says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full convictions. One of the things, when it talks about word only, we'll get to the rest of this in a minute, but when the word comes, when the word is preached, when you meditate on the word, when you read the word, when you receive the word, it creates change within you. Paul said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is what one of the things that the Word is designed to do is to renew your mind to the truth, to reality, from the perspective of heaven about this world. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It has an impact. It has an effect in our hearts. And the result is, transformation. I want to emphasize that word, transformation. When Jesus preached His first sermon, He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the Gospel. Now if I'm standing up here, I better be standing up here in the anointing and in the Spirit of God as I preach the Gospel to you or we are all wasting our time here this morning. There are a lot of prophecies in this book. And and Peter said that no prophecy was made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit Spoke from God. And you know, when I get up here like this, I'm, I'm vulnerable to the fact that, wow, God, I've got to have Your Spirit upon me. And actually, it is His Spirit upon me that strengthens me to do this very thing. And I want to make a very 
I think, profound statement to you. Anointed preaching produces the very things that are declared in those that believe. In Mark chapter 4, again, the parable of the sower, Jesus said that when the Word is received into good soil, it will be fruitful and produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. That is, whatever is declared, it has the potential of of expansion and fruitfulness and, and productivity of whatever is declared. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. That needs to be the case when we share with people wherever we go. I'm not talking about just, you know, some kind of pulpit ministry. I'm, I'm actually talking about day-to-day life, that we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Each and every one of you, that is God's will for you. Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word filled means continually filled. That's the normal Christian life, to be filled with the Spirit. And so Paul is talking about preaching the Word of God. But there's an additional element here in this verse. So he says, My preaching was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but also in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So in other words, as he's preaching the Word, he's also demonstrating the very thing that he's preaching. And that's the challenge, and that's what I want to put before you today. That the Word is not only for your personal inner transformation, but there should also be a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Therefore, our faith is not a matter of scholarship, understanding the Scriptures in their historical context, sound doctrine, scriptural knowledge, speaking ability, orthodoxy, understanding the Greek and Hebrew, or having correct theology. You can't cast out a demon with correct theology. You can't cast out a demon with a certificate that you graduated from Bible school. You need the power of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, the kingdom has come unto you. What this, this New Testament is all about is the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's about the King and His kingdom. And so when we preach the Word, when we share the Word, there should be an accompanying demonstration of that Word. So that we can change the statistics of our city. So that we can say, crime is down. Abortions are down. Teen pregnancy and suicide are down. The Ralph Pardue Center and the Fairbanks Correctional Center are empty. All the orphans have been adopted. Thieves, liars, drug addicts, the covetous, homosexuals, even those who were bound by religion are saved cleansed, delivered, healed, released, set free, understanding their identity as sons and daughters of God, filled with the Spirit, discipled, raised up, equipped, activated, and commissioned, and sent around the world. That's what this is all about. Is anybody out there? Thank you. I want to ask you an important question here. Think about this. Where did we get the idea that we could change our city with persuasive words, good deeds, and correct theology alone? I think this question will make more sense as we go along. Where did we get the idea that we could win or change our city with persuasive words, that's even good preaching, 
good deeds, and correct theology alone. I shared with you the last time I preached, one of my biggest nightmares is the idea that we could be where we are now and then in five years be in the same place. And as I meditated and as God has put this word into me, I, I'm just exploding. I mean, I'm, I'm lying in bed. I live in a rural area and I live by myself so I can, I can shout and scream in my bedroom without alarming anybody. So, so I'm in my bed and I'm going, God, I can't live without this. Lord, don't let me be the same five years from now, you know, equivalently about the same as I am right now. God, there's got to be profound, significant change within me and within the church. And so there's a challenge that's before us. And I thought about the five-year cycle, and I thought about the fact that I, I was a part of the very beginning of this church in 1990. That means I've already gone through five five-year cycles. And I don't mean to discourage you. I mean to increase you this morning, to expand your mindset, to, to cause you to think big. I'm just reminded of this. There's a, there's a fish. It's called the Japanese Aranda fish. And, and the, the thing about it is if you, if you put it into a tank, you know, a 20 gallon tank, it will grow to about three inches. But if you put it in a, a 500 gallon tank, it'll, it'll grow much, much bigger. And preaching the word is, is determining the size of the tank. What you receive as you read, what you receive as you're meditating in the Word, allow the tank to grow so that you can grow as well. And hopefully that's what this message today will accomplish within you, that you can carve some new neural pathways in your mind and not minimize, compromise, or even reject the Word of God. And so what does... How do we all figure into this demonstration of the kingdom and of power? 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 through Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministry, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And then finally in Acts 2.22, Peter is preaching the first message right after, on the day of Pentecost, right after they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says this to those that were there that day. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, signs, and wonders which God performed through him in your midst, just as you know. So what am I talking about here? I'm talking about the fact that that the signs and wonders were an attestation of Jesus Christ. So in other words, we we are involved in transformation. The demonstration of the power of God and the manifestation of His Spirit and all of that is an attestation to the Lordship and the Kingship of Jesus Christ. What does that word mean, attestation? It means proving by demonstration. To bear witness, certify, declare to be true or genuine. And later Peter said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this, this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So, so he preached a message and he said, These signs and miracles that Jesus performed 
attested to the fact, they certified the fact, they demonstrated the fact that He is both Lord and Christ. And the fact is, is that we are His witnesses as well. Both of His King, both of the fact that He is our King, He's Lord, and of His kingdom as well. We are ambassadors that represent another realm. We're citizens of heaven. We're we're to demonstrate the fact that we are citizens of heaven on this earth. Does this make, am I making sense to you? Okay. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the proof that some, some uh, um, translations say evidence, but it's better translated the proof of things unseen. Proof. The establishment of the truth of anything. Demonstration. Evidence sufficient to establish a thing as true or to produce belief in its truth. Something that makes plain or clear an indication or sign. And I like this. The effect of evidence in convincing the mind. Therefore, proof produces belief. That makes perfect sense to me. Proof. It it, it brings about belief. And belief, in this sense, brings about salvation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And that word salvation, it it means preservation. It means well-being. It means healing, health, wholeness, peace, deliverance, security, and a place in heaven after we die. It doesn't mean just I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. It has to do with here and now as well. So there's an impact. There is result. And there are confirmations of the Word. And this is exactly what happened when Jesus first preached His first message. When He said, you know, I mentioned the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for He has anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. He has sent me to release the captives, to, uh, to see recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed free, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then, after he said those words, he sat down and he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So it wasn't just some words, it wasn't just a message. It it was carrying with it the very fulfillment. And to even said, today, today as I'm saying these words, God is ready to set you free. God is ready to heal you. God is ready to release you from captivity and oppression. So it's not just a message per se. It's a message to produce the things declared. What about Jesus? How did Jesus frame this issue? Here's what he said. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. He's talking about John the Baptist. For the words which the Father has given me to accomplish, or excuse me, the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus is saying, the works that I perform demonstrate and prove that I am from heaven and that the Father has sent me to earth. That is an incredible statement. I mean, that's a mind-blowing statement to the people that were hearing those words. But those works were supporting what he was saying. Then in John 10, if listen to this. This is so profound for us today. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. 
Wow. This is Jesus speaking. I mean, if anybody would have power in their words, it would be Jesus. But he says here, if I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Now listen to this. If Jesus relied upon the works of the Father and not upon his own words only, then how foolish are we to assume that we can do otherwise? If Jesus' message, if he's relying upon only his message, then then he's just saying, hey, you don't have to believe it. But if he's relying upon the works of the Father, then... How is it that we think we're going to do better than Jesus by just preaching the Word or speaking the Word or sharing the Word, the message only? Jesus relied upon the demonstration of the power of God to authenticate His message, the reality of the kingdom, and to prove that He was in union with the Father. He said, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And now get this. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. That's that's here today. These words are words of Jesus spoken to his disciples and are just as true today as ever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need, to, we need to let these words distill upon our minds and drop into our hearts and begin to believe His Word like never before. Because we need to be transformed. But yet... In addition to that, we need to speak His message. But in addition to that, we need to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. We need to manifest the Spirit of God to confirm, to prove, and to bring uh, convincing and unquestionable evidence to the fact that our message is not of man, but of God. What about His disciples? What did He say to them? He said, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, as I'm saying these words, there may be objections that are coming into your mind, even right now. But let the word speak to you today. Don't worry about how it's going to happen. Don't worry about, well, you know, no one else is doing that or whatever comes into your mind. Just let it be. Try it one time. Just allow the Word of God to just sink in and say, okay, we'll talk about how it can be in a few minutes here. What about the early church after the resurrection? Peter and John are going into the temple. They raise up a guy who's been crippled since birth. Everybody knows him. All of a sudden, this this word is going out. He preaches a message. And then the religious people, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and even the high priest was there, and they call him in front of the council, and they threaten him, and they tell him, listen, stop preaching. Stop declaring the name of Jesus. This whole thing, tried to shut it down. And so the earth, the, they gather together after this situation and they're praying, and this is a part of their prayer. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Let me tell you, that confidence comes from God. The confidence to share wherever we are at work or, or when we're on the soccer field or wherever it is. I got a text message from Brian this week, 
And, and it was about a girl who was dying in the hospital. Her kidneys are almost gone. And, and uh, the message was that, uh, her husband, that she had mentioned my name to her husband. Her husband called the church here and asked if I could come and pray. And, and I, I did that once before. I went into a situation like that before, and I was nervous, and I didn't know what to do, and it was, you know, it was really ineffective. But when I got, because this word has been, you know, flowing in my heart, because I've been meditating, because God is, it's, it's like I have a crusade going on inside of me concerning what I'm speaking to you today. And it's been going on all summer. When I went out to my truck, I got into my truck right here at the church, and it was so strong upon me, I felt like I just, I spoke out loud and I said, God, I have confidence. I just felt strength. And that's what was going on here. They were praying for that strength, for that confidence to speak the word boldly. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word with boldness. I'm telling you, when God begins to heal and produce signs and wonders, and by the Spirit being filled with the Spirit, you will have confidence and boldness to speak His word. And that's a calling that we all have. We can no longer be silent. But we begin to ask God, God, Give me a divine appointment today, Lord. I'm ready. I just want to share something out of my life. Something about Jesus, God. Show me. Help me. Open my mouth. Give me that boldness. Give me that confidence. What about Paul? Romans 15, 18 and 19. For I, I will not presume to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentile by word... Indeed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. What he's saying here is that only by demonstrating the message have I really fully preached the gospel of Christ. And that's exactly what our calling is as well. I like this, um, I was reading a commentary, it just kind of blew me away because um, I just recently read this, it was this week, and it's uh, from a commentary by uh, a man named David Pawson, he wrote a commentary on the whole Bible, and he gets to 1 Thessalonians here, and he says, he's talking about Paul, he says, Paul says he gave them the gospel in three ways, by word, by deed, and by sign. Many Christians seem to believe that if you give people the words of the gospel, you have given them the gospel. But the people who have heard those words have yet, have as yet been given no proof that the words are true. They need to see the gospel as well as hear the gospel. If, or... Paul didn't assume that people were waiting to hear the gospel, but he did assume they were waiting to see it. The deeds were the human proof that the words were true, and the signs were the divine proof that the words were true. Too often we focus almost exclusively on word-based evangelism. Preaching the word of God is vital, but it must be backed up by the way we live and by signs and wonders from God. Then Jesus sent out his, when Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, he said to them, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's really simple. All you've got to do is go into town, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, and then tell them the kingdom has come to them. In other words, demonstrate the gospel as you declare it. I told you this is challenging, you know. Now, one thing 
that becomes evident in reading 1 Thessalonians is that when this word is preached, demonstrated, and manifested, attesting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the fact that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him, that message and that demonstration are accompanied by opposition. The Gospel will be accompanied by opposition. Paul says in Thessalonians uh, 2.2, after we had already suffered and been mistreated at Philippi, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you, the Gospel of God, amid much opposition. So, in other words, they're praying for this boldness. They're receiving this boldness from God. And it is so strong within their, you know, within their hearts, within the inside, that it was able to resist even the opposition from outside. And that's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with confidence, you're filled with boldness, the opposition is overcome. And you just go right ahead and declare whatever God has put into your heart and mind. When we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass. And I'm wondering, you know, as I, you know, you would think, okay, this is really good news. This is the oppressed being set free. You know, their minds, wherever you are mentally. This is people with deep addictions. Bang. Released. This is people with sicknesses being healed in the name of Jesus. This is security and preservation and wholeness bring, being brought to mind, soul, and body. And so, why would anyone oppose this message? And, 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 and the reason is because it's an expression of the dominion of the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom expanding, increasing, producing fruit. There's abundance. And the kingdom is advancing. And the word and the works expose, dismantle, and destroy the kingdom of darkness and its evil works. And therefore, in the kingdom of darkness, you know, we don't realize... We don't often think of the fact that if people do not know Jesus, they are in the kingdom of darkness and they are being influenced strongly by that kingdom through the world system. And I refer to it as the matrix. It's a matrix, people. It's a system. It's designed to tell you who you are. And what it means, what it takes to be valued and significance. And it is contrary to God and His Word. But there's a pushback that is, that is incited. And therefore, there can be some suffering and affliction. And here I hear Paul say this, Just as, as we have been approved by God, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Now listen to this. Not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know. Here's the thing. When Peter was in Antioch, there were these religious guys who came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and, and Peter came underneath these people. And I am sure that he was trying to please them. And, and Paul had to confront Peter in front of everyone for his hypocrisy, for compromise that had worked its way in him through the intimidation of those that had come from Jerusalem. And what Paul is saying is, we will not let fear or intimidation affect us. Which is, it's quite a temptation when you're being opposed, when you're being threatened to cave in and compromise. But what Paul is really doing here, he's, 
he is renouncing this world pressure against the kingdom. And so then he says, and nor with a pretext for greed. Now, I tell my, my students in my 301 class that, you know, if I, if I were to write you a check for $100,000, you'd be high for a month. You understand? I mean, has, have any of you ever gotten a windfall of money come to you, maybe through uh, a sale of something or maybe an inheritance? I mean, boom, your mind is baptized in this euphoric feeling. And sometimes, you know, it can be an incentive to, to pursue that feeling, to pursue money. And, and, and that's what Paul is doing. He is, he's denouncing these things and he's saying, I will not let these things affect me. And then he says, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. You know, uh, if whatever you do, there are many things that we can do that will garner the praise of people the admiration. You might be in business and you have a certain position or you make a certain amount of money or, or any number of things. You've got possessions. You've got, you've got a authority over other people. And, and maybe you do something brilliant and people just, oh, they flock to you and they, they're admiring you and they're recognizing your, your brilliance or your uh, abilities or whatever. And that can become an addictive thing. We, we call it here... You know, if I preach a message and I go out in the lobby and I get all this praise and glory comes to me, we call that the Turkish delights. And it's really, it, you have to be careful that you don't become addicted to Turkish delights, to that euphoric feeling that you get through whatever you've achieved or whatever you accomplish. That's just, it's, it's, it's brain chemistry management. And that's what Paul's saying. I did not let fear, I did not let money, or the glory of men affect my calling God and my commissioning of God to preach His Word boldly and to demonstrate and manifest His kingdom. And I'm going to say this, okay? He, he has, in effect, rejected Jacuzzi Christianity. And believe me, I love a jacuzzi. I love to be comfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. But what is required of this gospel and this call on each and every one of us is to get out of the hot tub and begin to press through whatever discomfort might be there. Because it is so easy when we go to the store, when we go to the bank, when we go to on the on the baseball field, it is so easy not to say a word about Jesus. Even when we're maybe drawn to somebody, or we see somebody hurting, or, you know, somebody has an issue, it's so easy just to not say anything, because we don't know how that's going to turn out. That's kind of unpredictable. We don't like unpredictable, we don't like being uncomfortable, and so we just don't do anything. But I want to tell you that we at Friends Church are in a, uh, we're, we're actually beginning to look at equipping each one of you to do that very thing. And it's so simple and easy, and I believe everyone can join in. At some point, I'll describe what we're developing, okay? But man, when you get out of the hot tub, when you get out of that jacuzzi and you begin to share your faith, man, you, you just... You start to burn on the inside. There's a flame that's ignited in you. You become zealous for Jesus. You become passionate. You become the person that God has called you to be. And you're breaking free of the intimidation, the worry, the concern, and the fear that is trying to hem you in and put, your, put this little fish into a little tiny fishbowl and see that it never grows. But God is getting ready to do something here at Friends Church. And I believe that the messages that are coming forth are a preparation for that very time and that very thing that He has called each and every one of you 
to participate in. I'm serious. There's a necessity for repentance, which is changing your mind. It's it's allowing God to put His Word within you and to change the way you think. And you receive that Word and you actually literally change your mind because you see something. God, it says the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. He will unveil. He will reveal things to us. He will give us prophetic insight into what we are, who we are, and what He has called us to do. But let me say this. Repentance without dependence is religion. Repentance without dependence is religion. Because repentance without dependence means self-sufficiency. It means, oh, I heard your word, now I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to do it. There is a participation that you are being invited into, but it is not one in which you have to have your own sufficiency to accomplish. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, that's got to be your number one you know, a, a, a goal in life. God, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, this message makes a whole lot more sense to you. And you begin to feel that confidence and boldness. You're beginning to say, hey, I like that, Floyd. Let's go for it. Let's just pursue that. Let's just go ahead and move toward that. I want to believe God's Word. I want to believe what Jesus said. I want to believe what the disciples did before and after the resurrection. I want to join in with what Paul was exhorting and calling the church to. I want to be a part of that company that changes the statistics of Fairbanks, Alaska and around the world. Come on. It's about change. It's about transformation, demonstration. All for the sake of adaptation of Jesus Christ, the way and the truth and the life. That's what this is about. And bringing through that revelation and through that truth that is proven salvation to, our, to, to us, to ourselves, to an ongoing uh, wholeness is being brought into our hearts and minds and salvation to our city. And, and, and let me say this. This is, this is really so good. There are two words right at the end, the last two verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that should hugely encourage you. Because these are words of grace. These are words that describe how all of everything that I said today can happen and will happen. And this is what Paul was talking about to them. He said, and the Lord, here are the two words, cause you. Some translations say, make you. The Lord cause you. That was a promise from the Old Testament where Ezekiel and Jeremiah were prophesying about the new covenant that God would cause you to walk in his ways. And so Paul says, the Lord cause you, now listen, to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men. I so appreciated what Brian had to say last week when he was talking about how Paul loved this church. And Brian was saying, you know, I don't, I don't really have that love for the church like I need to have, like is being expressed in this book that Paul had for the church. But he said, you know, I'm praying about that. 
And, and that's what this verse is all about. To say, to, to, you know, to shake off the hypocrisy. You're not able to do all this. You're, we're not capable of, of producing what we're describing here today. So we need to just go, okay, God, you got me. I don't love the church. I don't love people. I don't even like myself very much. God, cause me. Make me. Lord, I come to you. God, transform me. Make me like Jesus. He's in me, Lord. God, help me to participate. Help me to renew my mind by your word. Help me to read, to meditate, and to receive the fullness of everything that you have written in this book. And God, be at work in me. He said, you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has before ordained that you should walk in them. That's what God has for us. A sense of destiny, a sense of purpose that goes beyond our everyday life. And we begin to look not at earth toward heaven, but from heaven toward earth. And God changes our minds. And through the revelation of the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit, He begins to infuse into us this love of not only the church, but all men. And then it says, to the end that He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. In other words, He's, 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 he's encompassing this, this desire and this exhortation of abounding in love and, and being increasingly in to, to experience the love of God flowing through us and then becoming unblameable in holiness. That means holiness is a release. Holiness is your freedom. Holiness is the nature of Christ flowing through you to release you from all of your bondages and, and all of your oppression and everything that would come against you in becoming the person that God has called you to be because He has prepared works for you that He's before ordained. And what Paul is doing here, he's, he's putting this whole thing in the context of, of the fact that Jesus our Lord is coming again. It's a, it's a heavenly, eternal perspective on this life. And that's what we got to have. So we didn't get all consumed with our day-to-day stuff. And we begin to, the Holy Spirit begins to build into us such a strength, such a confidence, that when and if the opposition comes against us, that which is in us is greater than that which is in the world. So I saw, as I was studying this, I saw two things that I believe are essential, actually three things, that are essential for us to totally come out of the jacuzzi and fulfill the call of God, the commission, the great mandate that He has placed upon us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that those three things are this. Love. Love. His love, not your love, His love in you for each other and for all men. Number two, holiness. Man, break the chains of addiction. Break the chains of lust. Break the chains of covetousness and and every foul thing, the pride, the hypocrisy. Break the chains. Become unblameable in holiness. And then finally, the demonstration, the power, the confidence, the boldness to preach and then demonstrate the kingdom of God and manifest His Spirit to such a degree that it is clearly and unquestionably the fact, the belief in people's minds that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And His His kingdom has a dominion that we are bringing to those who will receive it. Okay, worship team, come on up. If if you have children in kids' church, you probably should go get them. And um, 
I'll say one more thing. The gospel is not in word only. We have to manage our chemistry, and it's all by grace, the grace and union that we have with Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Nothing but the blood